Hello and welcome to Kindred Spirits Book Club, the podcast where two grown-ass ladies geek out about Anne of Green Gables. I'm Kelly Gurner and I'm joined by my co-host, Regan Duffy. Hi, Kindred Spirits. Y'all, guess what? Today is our one-year anniversary of podcasting. It's something like that. We did record a few episodes before we put them out there for publishing. And we published a few episodes before we told anyone that we had done that. You know, a little bit of a learning curve for how to record, structure, write, edit, and publish a podcast. That took us a minute. (laughs) A minute, for sure. So I guess we strictly probably have several anniversaries, but I think we can call August 26th our official anniversary of putting Kindred Spirits Book Club out into the world and inviting other people to come and listen to it. So in honor of that first episode, we wanted to do an extra fun show for you all today. Welcome to our first year anniversary party. Woo, woo, woo. Confetti. Confetti. Well, we have definitely learned a lot this year. And I can really see our growth over this whole experience. We went from being casual listeners of podcasts at best to we learned how to structure a podcast, how to build a little social media presence. We learned about editing and writing and figuring out a pretty smooth process for getting our episodes recorded regularly. And it's been such a fun project to share with you, Kelly. Yes, I feel the same way, friend. I love that we have a consistent reason to get together and see each other, even if it's virtually over Zoom, at least twice a month. It's the best. I think we worked so well together and I've had such a good time really getting our nerd on doing all of these deep dives with you. Did you have a favorite episode that we've done over the last year or a favorite thing that you've learned, a favorite thing about this experience together? Well, one thing I've learned is that as nerdy as you and I are about Anne of Green Gables, there are others out there who are just as nerdy as we are. Welcome, kindred spirits. I'm so glad you found us. Yes. (laughs) But as for our favorite episode, you know, all of our episodes are my favorites. Like our children, I can't possibly choose favorites between them. I do look really fondly on our Marilla episode, which was our fourth episode, because that was a big moment for us and our creative process. We actually re-recorded that one because we knew we could do better. When we finally sat down to listen to it, we were like, oh no, we can do better than this. That episode was how we developed the format that we've more or less stuck to. And it's also the moment where I think we really committed to making sure we were showing up for this podcast with our best efforts. I know when we were talking about it and planning it and maybe in those very first early episodes, I was a little bit like, hey, we know this book really well. We can kind of wing it. But the episodes that we recorded where we were winging it were not as strong as the episodes where we really researched it and really took the time to do it right. And I think having that strong structure and that research background actually ends up giving us more space to have fun and put our personalities and our friendship into the show. So from a craft angle, I'm really, really proud of that show and the moment that it represents. I really agree with you about that because I remember that was an episode where we're like, well, we'll just, you know, we have some good ideas and we'll just put together Mm -hmm. an outline and we're friends and we love to talk. So it'll all work out. It'll be great. It'll be great. Like what could go wrong? And because of course, people who have been podcasting for a a long time, they sound so natural and effortless. Like they're just hanging out and having a conversation. So we assume that we could just jump in and do that. Right. And that's not... the case. Maybe for some people, but not for us. Yeah, no. (laughs) 
So really thinking, being very thoughtful about what kind of structure we wanted to have and what kind of preparation we wanted to do. And I'm so proud of that episode. I go back and listen to it. I'm like, hey, I think we did something really cool here. Yeah, we we started to break open what this podcast was going to become in that moment. And I am, I'm really proud of it too, Reagan. And I'm proud of us for taking it seriously. And, you know, we could have published that episode. It was fine. You know, we could have published like a breezy Gabby sort of like all over the place episode and it would have been fine, but I'm glad that we stuck to our guns and said, no, we really want to do something right. And we did it right. It's really hard for me to pick just one favorite because honestly, every new episode is my favorite. I feel that way too. <laughs> Every time a new episode comes out, I always tell my husband, I was like, we have to listen to this one. This one's really good. He's like, I know. Well, that's my- I always say the same thing. I would say to my mom, I'm like, mom, no, we're getting really good at this now. But if I had to choose, I really loved our Girls of Avonlea episode. And I loved it for a couple of reasons. So one, I loved that we paid attention to some of the more bit players in Anne of Green Gables that don't mm-hmm. necessarily get a lot of love and really talking about the themes of girlhood. I loved that. I really love doing the research on the Lily Maid scene. And I'm still blown away by the fact that Anne is not acting out the Lady of Shalott. Blew my mind. That was truly a next level moment, like a butterfly effect moment. Or no, what is it called? That was a Mandela Mandela effect effect moment for us where we both had a shared wrong memory of it. (laughs) Yes. When you did the research, we realized how mistaken we had been. And then one of our other episodes that I really, really love doing it is when we had the editor Katie Stewart on who edited one of our favorite annotated editions of Anne of Green Gables because that was the most fun to record. It was the hardest to edit because we were having so much fun and laughing so much. (laughs) You guys, the raw recording of that episode was over two hours long. And that conversation was unhinged. It was unhinged. Everything under the sun. It was great. It was so much fun. That was a lot because I also really was like editing boot camp because I had got it from over two hours long down to an hour and 20 minutes. So that was, I was like, oh, I've learned a great deal about editing doing this episode. And I also really loved doing our more recent Anne of the Island recap episode. That was just really fun. I know we've had we've had just some like plain fun conversations and I really hope that everyone is enjoying listening to them as much as we are recording them. Oh, I know. I hope so too. It's like sending a little bit of your babies out in the world. This is how Anne felt about Avril's atonement. <laughs> I'm not sure if we're quite as precious about the podcast as Anne was about her story, but you know, we do love it when we work hard. Exactly. Rolling's reliable. Call us. Oh yeah. We'll take your baking powder company money any day of the week. Please. No problem. Rolling's reliable. Yeah. We're, we're your girls. Arm and Hammer. Sure. We'll read your advertisements. <laughs> So kindred spirits, we are going to ditch our usual structure today for a little bit of a celebration. We're going to have on a few special guests and some special segments. We have some of our favorite guests from last season coming back on and a few surprises, maybe some and trivia games. And we have something fun and special for you guys. So stay tuned to the end of the episode because we want to include you in this celebration as well. So stay tuned. Yay, kindred spirits. Now, to help us hand out some yearbook superlatives, we wanted to welcome back 
Alice! Yay! You may remember Alice from our episode about graphic novels and Anne adaptations. She's Reagan's daughter, and we loved having her on to talk about all the various graphic novel adaptations of Anne and comparing them to the original. Alice, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Alice. I'm almost 11 years old, and I just started middle school. Oof. I love to read. I love, 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 love Dungeons and Dragons, and I am really into musical theater, too. And I'm very happy to be back on the pod. Yay, we're so happy to have you, kiddo. Okay, Alice, do you know what yearbook superlatives are? Yes, I do. We handed them out after fourth grade. Like, oh, you did? At our fourth grade graduation thing, we, like, the class voted on, like, a Google form, and it was, like, most likely to become a fashion designer. Most oh. likely, I got most likely to become an author, I think. Oh, well, I think that's probably very accurate. You probably are the most likely to become an author in your class. That's probably. really cool, Alice. So, yeah. So that's great that you know what they are. For anyone listening who doesn't, yearbook superlatives are like a fun thing that often appear in your books or like Alice's class did sort of like at the end of the school year. And it's a way to remember your classmates' personalities and quirks and to preserve like your inside jokes. So... Since the first three books that we've discussed are all very school-focused, following Anne from the Avonlea Village School to Queen's Academy and then on to Redmond College, we wanted to award our own superlatives to the characters. We have some classic categories and a few we drummed up just for this purpose. So I'm going to kick us off. Our first category that we came up with was Biggest Flirt. And this, I'm sure you all can guess, is a tie between Philippa Gordon, Anne's friend Phil from Redmond, and Ruby Gillis, Anne's friend from Avonlea School. And I thought this was one was kind of interesting because we see sort of both sides of their flirtation, right? Anne is always a little annoyed at how flirtatious Ruby is, but Philippa is just so endearing and charming and unserious about it all that her flirtation doesn't really bother Anne as much. We decided that the class clown is Davy Keith for obvious reasons. <laughs> for very obvious reasons like always playing pranks and basically just causing a ruckus can you imagine teaching a kid like Davy? he's got to be your worst nightmare so for our cutest couple we're giving that award again this one is a tie between diana berry and fred wright love diana's sweet little romance and philippa gordon and jonas blake that full circle growth arc for phil going from being flirtatious and unserious to becoming madly in love with her homely minister is one of the sweetest stories in anna the island we decided that the life of the party goes to Philippa Gordon. Because she is so fun, always makes us laugh, and always makes Anne laugh. If I was throwing a party, I would love to have Phil there. And Phil is really described as somebody who is great at just effortlessly connecting people and bringing yes. people in. So she's a great person to have as a party because she's not letting people feel left out. She's connecting people, grabbing people, bringing them into the conversations and circulating well between group and just kind of keeping that party vibe going. Also, Alice, take notes for the future. Friends like that are such important friends to have. Like you should always make sure that you have one friend who's really, really good at making other friends. It just makes life really interesting when you have that person who can like work a room, who can bring 20 people to any party without lifting a finger or whatever. Yeah, the it's Philippines true. of the world are a lot of fun. I feel like I am that friend. That's what you actually I was. <laughs> I feel I was, like I've done that. I was going to say that because you know what? So Alice just started middle school and most of the kids 
in her middle school, she knew from elementary school, but a bunch of new kids also started. And one of the new friends you made, her parents told me when I was chatting with them on the phone, not only did you introduce yourself to her, but that you introduced her to all of your friends and you really like made her feel part of the group and so that she not just had you as a friend, but now was connected to a whole bunch of people. And that's a really great gift. Alice, I love that. That is so special. I'm glad that you are such a good friend friend and that you make friends so easily. Thank you. Our own little Phil. (laughs) Our biggest gossip. This is also a tie. I'm sorry there are so many ties, you guys. I couldn't decide with a lot of people. So biggest gossip, Mrs. Lind obviously springs to mind first, but Rick and I also really feel like this award should go to Diana Barry. We refer to her as the consummate Avonlea insider, but what is being an Avonlea insider if not being a huge gossip. <laughs> so, hundred percent. She is always the girl with the backstory. She is always the girl who knows what is going on. You want to know about somebody? Go to Diana. Go to Diana. She knows. Not only does she know about that somebody, but she knows about their parents and their grandparents. <laughs> yeah, Diana is like the person to go to if you want to know about like a new student. But I feel like uh, Mrs. Yes. Lind is better to go to if you want to learn about a new adult. You're probably right. We feel like the most improved is Philippa Gordon because she went from being frivolous and only concerned with looks and money to marrying for love not well love that for you phil our student who's most likely to succeed is of course Anne's prize pupil paul irving we don't know if he's going to be a poet or a senator but Anne certainly hopes he's going to be one of them and Anne identified paul irving as her genius in a glance on the first day of school so maybe intuition i don't know knowing paul i feel like he won't grow up to be a senator or a poet he'll be a, he'll grow up to be a senator and a poet <laughs> Ugh, a poet senator gotta love that and we feel like the best bromance is gilbert Blythe and charlie sloan okay uh, okay <laughs> kelly that one's a reach <laughs> i'm not entirely gilbert sure. thinks about that i'm not entirely sure it's actually a bromance Look, Charlie Sloan thinks it's a bromance for sure. I don't know. I think Charlie Sloan thinks of himself as like the height of Avonlea society and Gilbert is lucky to be his friend. Aye, 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 aye. Charlie Sloan I don't know. We really may be reading else. He's really something else. So speaking of which, we also voted our most likely to sleep through class as Charlie Sloan. Yep. Coming He's in hot there, Charlie. concerned with getting into class on time. The best click is the Patty's Place girls. Anne, Phil, Stella, and Priscilla. Yes, who wouldn't love to live with those ladies? For sure. And not a click in the bad way, right? Because they're not exclusive. They're just, like, really tight. Our most philanthropic award goes to Priscilla Grant, who actually does marry a foreign missionary. <laughs> Remember, Anne was so sure that she was going to have to marry a foreign missionary because they couldn't be too picky? <laughs> well, Priscilla actually does. We don't know this yet in these books, but we will find out a little bit later. The biggest drama monarch slash the biggest drama queen slash king. Well, we didn't yeah. want to be gender specific because yeah. it's often girls get called drama queens. But let's be honest, there are plenty of boys who are drama kings. Exactly right. So drama monarch is our nice gender neutral term. We decided that this role goes to Gertie Pye, who would arrive late to AVIS meetings just to make an entrance. And she really enjoyed the attention of bringing in bad news. Most accident prone award goes to Moody Spurgeon McPherson, who got on the wrong side of fraternity hazing and ended up with a half shaved head for the semester. And also to Barbara Shaw, who is Anne's unfortunate student in Anne of Avonlea, who is constantly falling and tripping over things and spilling things. The most likely to marry a millionaire is Jane Andrews.
brothers who did marry a millionaire. And the most likely to become a millionaire is Jacob Sinclair Donnell, if his mother has anything to say about it. Most likely to run off to join the circus, Davy Keith. Most likely to help Davy run off to join the circus, Reagan Duffy. <laughs> Our award for most romantic is a touch tongue-in-cheek. Our most romantic award goes to Billy Andrews, who very romantically asked his sister Jane to propose to Anne for him. And who wasn't so picky that he wouldn't take Nettie Blewett if Anne said no. <laughs> he had a backup plan and everything. The most likely to write emo songs about heartbreak, Roy Gardner. And last but not least, kind of a funny one, most likely to yell, get off my lawn, the cranky and irascible, but I love him, Mr. Harrison. Woo woo! Congratulations to all our superlative winners. <laughs> well, Alice, thank you so much for joining us and helping us give out our yearbook superlative awards to thank Anne you. and her school chums. And before you go, we wanted to ask you, if you were having a dinner party and going to invite any fictional character to join you and Anne at this party, who would you invite? I think that I would like to invite Imogen, who is the main character from the graphic novel All's Fair in Middle School by Victoria Jamieson because she's friendly and has a big imagination. She isn't afraid to be different. She was at the beginning, but then her character arc changed her, which I really like. I think that Anne and Imogen would get along great. If Anne were modern, you know that girl is going hard for the Ren Fair. Right? Oh, yeah. oh my gosh, yes. Oh, and D&D, she would make like the weirdest character. She'd be like a vampire cowboy. I I think that she would definitely be all in in a role-playing game. I think she would be too. I think it'd be really, really fun to play D&D with Anne. Yeah. I would also like to invite Mary from Secret Garden because she loves nature like Anne. She loves all things beautiful. And she also has a great imagination. Okay. Well, would you invite beginning of Secret Garden Mary or end of Secret Garden Mary? Probably end of Secret Garden Mary. Yeah, yeah. she's a lot more she's a lot more pleasant. <laughs> Alice, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Anything else you want to leave our listeners with, Alice? I would like to thank all of my friends who have helped me so much to get through my first week of middle school. Do they get I'm a superlative? Not... <laughs> Best friends. Aww. Aww. Thanks, Alice. Bye. Kindred spirits, now we have a very fun segment that we have been dying to figure out a way to do this entire year we've been podcasting. So listeners, you might not know this about Kelly and I, but we both absolutely love reading advice columns. And before we landed on doing an Anne of Green Gables podcast, we played around with the idea of doing an advice podcast. And to be honest, I still would really like to do one. We have some ideas, honestly. I think it would be really, really good. But in the meantime, we wondered what a modern advice columnist would think of some of the dilemmas in these Anne books. We don't know a real advice columnist to actually bring on, but we do have the next best thing. One of our great friends, Rachel Glower, is an expert in mental health, and she has never read Anne of Green Gables or any of the subsequent books. So we thought she'd be the best person to provide some unbiased advice to our characters from a contemporary point of view. So welcome, Rachel. Yay! Hey, guys. I'm excited to be here. Yay, Rachel. We're so happy to have you. Thank you. Rachel, what makes you qualified to uh, act as our advice columnist today? Oh, I love to give advice. And I know lots of things. You so do know lots of things. Great. 
And listeners, Rachel and I actually became friends working together in the mental health field. So I can vouch for her bona fides in this area for sure. So Rachel, what we did here today is we wrote letters from the perspective of the characters in the Anna Green Gables universe, just as if they were submitting their queries to an advice columnist. Do you need a special advice giving name? Like ask Rachel, dear Rachel, tell it like Um, it is with Rachel. (laughs) Actually, let's go with that one. That's a good one. I love it. What do you know about Anna Green Gables? Nothing, nothing at all. I had no clue, you guys. No clue. All right. Fresh eyes on this. Dear, tell it like it is, Rachel. I've only ever loved one girl. She's smart, imaginative, and feisty, and pretty, and like no one I've ever known. We got off to a rocky start as kids when she was the new kid in school. I teased her and embarrassed her in front of the whole class, and it took her years to forgive me. She holds an impressively long grudge, but she finally did forgive me. And I think the fact that I gave up the teaching position she really wanted for her kind of helped. Now we're solid friends. We spend all our time together. We study together. We go to all the college social events together. I hang out with her and her friends every Friday night. We make each other laugh. We have so much fun together. I enjoy her company more than anyone else's. And I know she feels the same way about me. But every time I so much as brush my hand over her hand, she snatches it back. Every time I hint that I might want something more than her friendship, she rewards me with the silent treatment or worse, gives attention to this absolute blowhard of a guy who is also in our friend group. Rachel, if I thought she truly only wanted me for a friend, I'd leave her alone and never so much as broach the idea that fate has more in store for us. But the thing is, sometimes I catch her staring at me with soft, starry eyes, and sometimes I feel a spark of energy between us. Sometimes I see her melting under my gaze. Sometimes our heads bent over the same book get close enough to kiss, and neither of us moves away. I know there's more. She's just being stubborn and afraid. So what do I do? I'm ready to propose to her and pledge myself to her forever, but I'm so worried that if I do, she'll turn me down and I'll lose her forever. Signed, Kismet in Kingsport. All right. What do you think, Rachel? Well, I don't know if it's the fact I've seen Barbie twice in the last week, but hearing this just kills me. So my first my first reaction to this is no one can and should assume that they know what somebody else is thinking or feeling, right? So there's a lot of assumption that this individual, we don't know gender, so I won't make an assumption. Um, I love this. But here's what I'm going to say. No one should make assumptions that we know what other people think. And I'm also really tired of this, the sort of narrative of, oh, if I just keep trying, they'll eventually realize they like me. So my response to this individual is, all right, put yourself out there, like genuinely put yourself out there. (gasps) If they don't return those feelings, you need to stop. You have to be done. You cannot keep pushing this. If you choose not to put yourself out there, which is an acceptable option as well, you can't assume you know what this person is thinking and you can't act based on those assumptions, which could lead to concerning, you know, attention filled relationship moving forward. Rachel, but what about their heads bent over the same book, almost about to kiss? Do we know that they're almost about to kiss or does this one person think they are? We don't know what that other person is thinking. Maybe they're too polite and they're like, oh, they have terrible breath. I wish they'd move away. Like (laughs) we don't actually know what this other person is thinking. All we have is this one perspective. So unless you substantially put yourself out there, we can't make assumptions on what's happening. 
The other thing I would say is it seems like when there has been an initiation by the writer of this letter, the reaction from the other person is not positive. That says no. You have to accept someone's no if that's what they're saying to you. And you can't know better than someone else. You can't just override someone else's yes, no. Exactly. And if you I haven't if yeah. you haven't asked directly or spoke up directly, all we've got is a bunch of assumptions and sideways glances. Exactly. And that's not enough either way. So either, you know, step up and 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 put yourself out there or you got to stop and move on. Like this sort of wishy-washy and prescribing emotions to this other individual, there's no room for that particularly anymore. Rachel, I would also ask as a follow-up question, Mm -hmm. you said that the letter writer should put themselves out there. What does that look like specifically to you? No, that's a great question. I would think if this person does have these really romantic feelings for this other individual, we would want this individual to have a conversation with this other person in a neutral place that is private. So we don't want this to happen around a bunch of other individuals. So in a private place, this the writer could say to this person what their feelings are, but they need to be ready to accept whatever the response is, good or bad. Okay. So listeners, I don't know about you, but I think Rachel just knocked it out of the park. I in totally a, agree. In a prediction. Really? Okay. So Rachel, you don't know what happens no. next. So we're going to tell you. Not at all. Yeah. Which is that at this point that we've written to you from Gilbert's perspective, and he's talking yeah. about Anne. At this point in the book, he did exactly that. Talk to her in the park, just the okay. two of them. He clearly expressed his love and his intentions. And yes. she said no. She said okay. no. And he walked away. And he backed oh. off. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Amazing. Yes. He did exactly what you said. Then I am very proud of him. Well done. <laughs> yes. Well, I think that's always been the thing, right, Kelly, is that the way that Anne of the Island is set up is that while it is very frustrating because we do get to know Anne's inner thoughts and inner experiences that, of course, Gilbert did not know or our advice columnist did not know, he responded in this really thoughtful ethical way, right? Respectful way. He took her exactly at her words, which is one of the reasons we talked about in our most recent episodes. That's one of the things that signified to us why he's such a great romance hero, because he listened to her. And when she said no, he took her at face value. Wow. No, that's actually really great. And it took a while for Anne to admit to herself her true feelings for Gilbert. It honestly, it takes him almost dying. Wow. So that's a real slow burn. Okay. A little bit. It's the slowest burn, Rachel. It's a a 900 page burn. (laughs) Rachel, that was such great advice. And we have another letter writer who also needs your wisdom. Her letter says, dear, tell it like it is, Rachel. I'm a writer. Well, I was a writer. I hoped to be a writer. I thought one day, someday I could be a published author but I have been humiliated and can never set pen to page again. I wrote a beautiful story full of passion and anguish and pathos after several rounds of excruciating edits. I sent it out to magazines for publications and it was rejected everywhere. The rejection hurt and I locked up my manuscript in a drawer. But then, oh, 
It's almost too mortifying to write. My best friend in the whole world found the story, made a few unauthorized changes, and submitted it to a contest. My sweet little story won the contest. You'd think that would not be terrible, but I assure you, Rachel, it is. For the host of the contest was not a reputable publication, but rather a baking powder company. And they have published my story in newspapers across Canada advertising their product. I'm so ashamed. I got what I thought I wanted, my name in black and white, and my story published across the nation, but in the most ridiculous way possible. That my story, the story I poured my whole creative soul into, should be used to sell baking powder. That everyone will see my name and assume that I have sold my art for commerce. The worst part is, I can't even confide in my friend. She truly acted from a spirit of love and wanting to see me succeed. And now everyone in my village is treating me like a published author. Rachel, how can I go on? How will I ever live this down? And should I ever try writing again? Signed, Abashed in Avonlea. Wow. This one actually is a little more complicated for me. The first one I felt I had very strong reactions to. This one is a little bit more nuanced. So my first reaction is you can't have it both ways. So to some degree, I feel like you can't be upset that you're published and and not be upset at your friend. Like it, you have to pick a lane here. So I'm not sure I fully understand the connection between the negative feelings about being a published author in connection to it under a baking powder company. So if she wants to be a published author, this can be one of the many ways it takes to get there. If you sometimes have to write for something that is less than ideal on your journey to get what you want. So there's a little bit for me of entitlement. She's not writing for cocaine, right? Like it's baking powder. Like it's. She's not writing for cocaine. <laughs> the true advice of tell it like it is, Rachel. Look, it's not cocaine. It's just baking powder. Right? No, exactly. So that part isn't connected to me. So I also am a little concerned about the fact that she says that she can't talk to her friend about this. So she is saying that her friend acted from a spirit of love. I respect that. That doesn't excuse a crossed boundary. So I absolutely think, right? We've never unpacked this scene as a crossed boundary. And it really is. Rachel. Yeah. So when we think about it, her friend did something without her permission, without her knowledge that led to a chain of events. Yeah. Um, And we have to be really mindful that even if her best friend was wanting to do this, like her intention was good, the impact was not. And I think that is something like we're currently dealing with as a society, right? The difference between intention and impact. And so in this situation, the impact was not positive. For me, this writer needs to speak to that and needs to discuss that boundary. And it can still be a very loving, supportive, honoring of the friendship conversation, but it needs to be a conversation about that cross boundary. Okay. I love that. I have trouble imagining what that conversation would look like for these two characters, but I agree. I agree. There was a boundary crossed. Yeah. The story did not belong to Diana to submit. And while she wanted to encourage Anne and she wanted Anne to continue with her writing and celebrate her writing, it was not hers to do anything with. She could have brought her the, the contest information, encouraged her to apply, perhaps some of those types of things. But this was a big violation. Again, can come from a place of love. 
But boundary crossing often has nothing to do with love, right? Yep, that's exactly. So that's why for me, there's two different issues going on in this Mm -hmm. um, letter. One is this boundary of the friendship. And then the second, which I kind of need more information, is the negative attributing of the published writing and why that is landing so negatively. Our close read of this section has revealed to us that Anne, our letter writer, has very high ideals when it comes to making art. She has very high ideals in general. And to see her art, her story, used in this sort of commercial way, this sort of mercenary way, that's not what she wants. She wants to be a published author. She wants to be like the next Tennyson. And I think that some of the humor and comedy in this scene, part of what makes this a fun scene in the book, is that she wrote this story that is very high melodrama, which combined with a very prosaic baking Mm. powder situation is really funny, right? There's like an inherent humorous tension there. And I think that Anne has a sense of how ridiculous that is and is ashamed to be the butt of the joke in a way. That makes a lot of sense. I think knowing a little bit more of that, if I was friends with Anne, I'd probably want to say to her, you got to calm down, right? You got to start somewhere. You know, you're not going to just start at the top. You got to work your way up. I think the girl needs a reality check a little bit. And I think you're right. It's the equivalent of somebody auditioning for a play in the first time and being humiliated that she winds up in the chorus. You don't always start off as the leading lady or having to act in commercials in order to pay your bills, right? And Rachel, you will be happy to hear that your guy Gilbert actually gives Anne very similar advice. Gosh, Gilbert her. and I are like, we're, we're on the same team here. Like, this we is really good. Are. Yeah. He tells yeah. her she has nothing to be ashamed of, that no one is going to think less of her for winning a contest and earning some money as a poor college student. Awesome. I love it. Nicely done. And you'll also be happy to know that while she doesn't immediately jump back into writing, after a year or so when the sting has, maybe two years, the sting has sort of faded, she finds another kind of half-written story that she wrote ages ago, reworks it with less melodrama, less pie-in-the-sky daydreaming, submits it, and it does get published in a reputable magazine. Excellent. I'm really happy to hear this because that is not for both of these. I expected answers to be just totally opposite of any advice I was giving. So I'm very pleasantly surprised. So honestly, even though these books are rather old fashioned, right? When you read them in that way, there's definitely some things that will strike you as old fashioned and from a different time for sure. I think this really points to some true universal truths in relationships, in the way we have to grow through our ideals and have them stomped down a little bit as much as it hurts in order to grow into a more realistic fashion. That's part of the reason why we love these book series so much is because there is so much that still rings true, even through the old-fashioned setting. Yeah, Yeah, I think the heart of the human relationships is always still there. And that's timeless. Rachel, you did such a good job as our resident advice columnist. We definitely want to have you back to do this again in a future book. Thank you so much, Rachel. My pleasure. Super fun. Thank you. Next up, we want to welcome back writer, editor, publisher, Katie Stewart. You all might remember Katie from our end of season one and geek out episode. Katie annotated, edited, and published one of our favorite editions of Anne of Green Gables, the Owl's Nest Classics Edition, which is specifically annotated for teen and middle grade readers. We love that she made Anne of Green Gables accessible and fun for a whole new generation of kindred spirits. Katie is also well known in the bookstagram world as Life Between Words. Welcome back, Katie. 
I'm so happy to be here. I'm so glad you guys invited me back. I had such a fun time the last time around. It makes me so happy to be here again. Oh, we're so glad that you could make it. We had so much fun with you last time too. I know. It's such a pleasure to have you back, Katie. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. It's always (laughs) fun to be with Kindred Spirits. So how have you been? Have you read anything really great lately? You know, my reading life has been pretty dead this summer, I got to be honest. But so I don't know if you guys remember this, but I host a readathon in March called Middle Grade March. We started a book club this year and that has been keeping me honest. So I have to read the middle grade books for our middle grade March book club. And the book for last month was a book called Three Strike Summer by Skylar Shrimp. And I ended up loving it, which was such a surprise because we hadn't heard anything about the book. We'd never seen anyone talk about it, but I had seen the cover and it's a little girl holding a baseball bat. And it reminded me of A League of Their Own. And I was like, this sounds sounds (laughs) fun. And I love A League of Their Own. So we picked it up and it was great. It was a little heavier than I think any of us were expecting. It's about a girl and her family her father's a farmer and they uh, have to leave, I think, Oklahoma during the the depression and the Dust Bowl. And so they move to California and become migrant workers. And so it's heavy in that respect. And But it's really great. I loved it. The writing was wonderful and the characters are good and very, very solid middle grade read. Did it fulfill your A League of Their Own fantasies? It did. It did. It was so it was like a mashup of A League of Their Own, The Sandlot, and then if you guys have also read the middle grade book called Esperanza Rising. Oh, sure. Oh, that's yeah. a great one. Yeah. That's so this one. was like a mashup between those three. Oh, that's awesome. That sounds yeah. that sounds amazing. Yeah. It was called Three Strike Summer by Skylar Shrimp. So fun. All right. We're yeah. gonna have to get that one up for sure. Yeah. It yes. Was, it was good. Oh, I'm I'm in the middle. I've almost finished with a Y. I don't read a lot of YA, but this I this one I had seen uh, a lot of people talk about, and it's a mystery, and I love a good mystery. It's called Truly Devious, and I'm really enjoying that one too. I love Truly Devious. Do you love it? Yes, yes. it is. It's good, isn't it? I'm really yes, enjoying it's it. So good. That's Maureen yeah. Johnson, right? Is yes, yes. She's so dang clever. And I love how she kind of takes some of those tried and true mystery tropes, but plays with them a little bit. Like her characters are aware of mystery tropes. So they kind of like interact with them. Yes. 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 It's very self-aware in in the best way possible. And it feels a little bit Agatha Christie, maybe. I'm really, really enjoying it. Yeah. It's it's great. Probably best YA or like young person mystery that I've read. I feel like it's hard to do. It's hard to write a good mystery for young people because it's hard for me to always believe that the young like characters are solving crimes. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. exactly. Right. It's hard to get the stakes right, I think, is part of the yes. problem, right? Because yeah. it's teenagers do not solve murders. Right? right. But on the other hand, like, how do you have something high enough stakes for people to care about it? And mm-hmm. yes, that's a, that's a tough needle to thread. Yes, it is. And I feel like Maureen Johnson has done it well with Truly Devious. I'm, yeah, I'm like, you know, I've heard that the first book ends on a true cliffhanger, though. So, yeah, a, almost a literal cliffhanger. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to have to get the second book ready to read before yeah, I finish line, the first line one. It up. <laughs> yes. I am going to add that to my list. I love a good mystery. It goes back to my early childhood days of being obsessed with Nancy Drew. So Yeah, I think those were the very first mysteries I ever read were Nancy Drew. I, yeah. I read them all. And I also kind of had a middle grade reading summer. Maybe I just, I don't know. My brain was just not able to process too many things that were more complicated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I actually took your recommendation from last time of the Penderwick and (gasps) read 
all of the Penderwick books. Oh, they were so lovely. They just feel like classics. They're so good. They really remind me of kind of the style of the ballet shoes books and the style of like all of a kind family. Yes. Very Noel Stratfield for sure. Yes. So, well, so then I reread all the Noel Stratfield Mm -hmm. books. And then somebody was telling me, well, if you like the Penderwicks, then you'll like the Vanderbeekers. Mm-hmm. Also so great. I just, I just started reading the Vanderbeeker mm-hmm. series, which are also so adorable, like family. So uh, wonderful. Oh, they're just like lovely, but not saccharine mm-hmm. family exactly. of children who are, mm-hmm. you know, out and about in their neighborhood and meeting mm-hmm. people. And I don't know. I just love it. So that's kind of all I've read this summer. That's exactly. a, those are great summer books, though. Well, how about you, Kelly? Yeah. What have you read? Wheel. Another book that we were talking about last time when we all met was Heather Fawcett's The Grace of Wild Things. Yes. A middle grade fantasy about a young witch that was inspired by Anne of Green Gables. I absolutely loved it. It's so charming and sweet. And I loved it so much that I picked up another book by the same author, <laughs> which is an adult fantasy novel called Emily Wilde's Encyclopedia of Fairies. Oh, that's and a that's fun delightful. title. It is. It's a really fun title. It's a really fun book cover. Like it looks like you would imagine an encyclopedia of fairies would look like big, big ups to the, the graphic designer there. So that book is wonderful. It's Emily Wilde is a fairy researcher. So she lives in a world where fairies are known and researched at an academic level. And this is an adult book? Yes. Oh my goodness. It's so good. And so she goes to like a remote northern country, like sort of a Lapland sort of idea. And she gets into all sorts of trouble studying the local fairy life. It's so creative. It's so fun. And there's like a little hint of romance. It doesn't take over the whole book, but it's there. And it is delicious. Heather Fawcett is on a roll with her fantasies. Yeah, I'm adding that to my to my list. That sounds wonderful. <laughs> I know, me too. <laughs> <laughs> right? Okay, so Katie, we wanted to do some fun Anne of Green Gables trivia with you. So we've all actually prepped some Anne trivia questions so we can try to stump each other. So, and if you're listening at home, have fun trying to guess the answer. <laughs> and I'll kick off the first one. In Anne of Green Gables, Miss Stacy held Anne back after class for this transgression. I know. You know? Okay. It was for reading a book when she should have been working. That's right. Extra points if you guys remember what book it was or what scene in the book it was. Was it Ben-Hur? It was Ben-Hur. Yeah, it's Ben-Hur. And it's the chariot race. That's right. That she was like, you know, yeah, she couldn't put it down. Because she was trying to explain to Marilla. She's like, well, I got in trouble because I had to read the chariot race and Ben-Hur. As if that is a thing that Marilla should understand and know and instantly be like, oh, well, that's all right then. Understood. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Of course, Marilla's like, "Mm, no. Reagan, you want to go next? Okay. Here is a little Anne of Avonlea question. What are Davy and Dora's last name? Yes, I got this one. All right. Keith. Keith. They're Mary Mary Keith. That's right. Bonus point. How are they related to Marilla? Dude. (laughs) If I say something, it's just going to be a wild guess. Yes, do it. (laughs) Was it a cousin? It's even looser than that. Their father was Marilla and Matthew's third cousin. Oh, jeez. As far as I'm concerned, they're barely related. Yeah. Yeah. That's a tenuous connection at best. My question, okay, what was the poem that Anne and her friends were acting out when the dory sank? 
Okay, Reagan, this is all you because you're the one who did the deep dive on this. This one. is, except now I am blanking on the name of that. Oh, no. no, no, no. It's not Lady of Shalott. It is Elaine my... and Tennyson's poem. It's Elaine and oh, why don't think, I have my notes? Think Knights of the Round Table. It's Elaine and Camelot? is it Lancelot? Lancelot. It's Elaine oh, and Lancelot. And Lancelot. Lancelot. Lancelot and got... Yeah, she's got Lancelot and Elaine. That's right. Because she's got a like a ginormous crush on Lancelot. And he shows up and he basically uses Elaine to enter the contest so that nobody knows it's him. And mm-hmm. but she thinks he's for real because he she's like a young girl. And mm-hmm. she's like, oh, handsome, famous knight, of course. And so she doesn't mm-hmm. pick up on him. And then it turns out, of course, that he's he's kind of just using her. And then she dies of a broken heart. Yeah, he's a rake. He's a rake. Well done, Reagan. Well done. That's a tough one. <laughs> I got there eventually. I got there eventually. <laughs> Although, you know, I don't think the poem is actually ever mentioned in the book. Is no. it? The name of the poem isn't mentioned. The name of the poem is not mentioned. But it's quoted, right? The, it's, it's quoted, quoted. extensively. Mm-hmm. It's quoted yeah. extensively. So you know that's how you can figure it out. And it's one of those ones where that tells you, like, for readers of Maud's generation, they would have known immediately. They would have, yes, right? they would have recognized it. Mm-hmm. They also probably studied it extensively mm-hmm. right like yep. they would have known immediately what that was referencing for the, mm-hmm. <laughs> for those of us who are not as up to date on our Tennyson or our yeah. Thurian legend generally <laughs> yeah yes, exactly well and then again it gets overlaid with that 1985 movie in which she's quoting from the lady of shallot and that's part of the reason why it's so confusing because he also wrote the lady of shallot which is like they have some things in common but they're mm. not the same Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the one at the beginning of the 1985. She's quoting it as she walks through the woods, too, right? Exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. She, quote, she quotes it then, and then she quotes it when she's in the dory, mm. even though the rest of the dialogue is directly out of the book. So the rest of the dialogue that the girls have, right? Mm-hmm. They tell yeah. her, like, you know, remember Elaine lay as though she smiled, and then we have to say, yeah. you know, farewell, sweet sister. Like, that's straight out of the book. That's yes, from yeah. Lancelot and Elaine. But then when Anne is floating in the pond. She's, she's quoting the Lady of Shalott. <laughs> so Maybe that's, that's like her just comfort. the one she likes comfort better. Poem. It's like, oh, it is she's her a... comfort poem. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the Lady of Shalott also lies poem. in a rowboat, so I guess it works. There you go. Okay, I'm going to jump into my next question. So that was a good first round, everybody. All right, points to all. Points to all. Second round in Anne of Avonlea, Miss Lavender has a maid named Charlotta the Fourth. What's Charlotta's real name? I remember Charlotta the Fourth, but I don't remember. <laughs> oh, Eleonora. Eleonora? Leonora. Good. Leonora. Very close. Leonora. Leonora. Um, so then bonus points if you can name all of her sisters, because remember she the first sister was named Charlotta, and then Miss Lavender was like, I can't remember all these crazy names. And so she just called them all Charlottas. I don't remember the rest of them. They're all very like flowery and I think they all end in A, right? Like they're all like of that vein, right? Yes. And actually I should have written them down because now I can't remember them all either. <laughs> you're Googling, Reagan. Okay. Okay. Here, the Anne Wiki doesn't let us down. So she's, you're right. She's Leonora and then her other sisters are Julieta and Evelina. 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 Charlotta, Julieta, Evelina, and Leonora, aka and Charlotta the Fourth. Okay, who's next up in our question asking? Ooh, that's oh, that's I am going to say, this is just a straightforward memory question. How many children does Mrs. Lind have? I want to say five. All right, we're going to take five. Kelly, you it's got another answer. It's more than that, right? Isn't it? Is like it more? Is it seven? Four. It's an odd number. 
It's a, <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot. I think it's eight. It's ten. Ten. This is Lind. I think the number 10 is just paraded about so that way Mrs. Lind is a definitive expert on child rearing. <laughs> yes. 10 is a nice solid number. It's like anyone who had 10 kids must know what they're doing. Katie, what do you got for us? Okay, my questions are all so much easier than yours. What is the name that Anne gives the cherry tree outside of her window? The Snow Queen. I love that. We need to start naming trees. That needs to be a thing. I know. Wait. Okay, so round three... In Anne of the Island, Jane Andrews gets married while dripping in diamonds. Where did she meet her future husband? I just remember it's out west. Like, I know she went out did west to meet- the prairies to teach. Um, okay, so I think that we can accept that as a, as a correct answer. Winnipeg? That is what the book says. Yes, it's Winnipeg. Yes. It's kind of said that she just went out west to teach and that's where she met her dude. So I guess technically he, she could have met him anywhere in Western Canada. But it does say later on specifically that he's from Winnipeg and that's where they're going to live. <laughs> Reagan, your turn. This is a Green Gables question. Okay. When Anne gets in trouble for coming into school late with the boys, what had the boys been doing that made them late? Oh, I have no idea. Weren't they throwing apples or something? No, but that's from the movie. I know exactly <laughs> there, what There what we go. Mean. They were, weren't they? Okay. No, this is also from the movie, I think. Go ahead. Let's see if you get it. Okay. I feel like you're getting there. What I remember is that Anne was not paying attention. And that is true in the book. Like she's wandering, <laughs> book, she's around. wandering around not paying attention. Yes. And the boys were, were they like terrorizing cattle? In the, in like the, in the, in the movie? <laughs> in the movie, it's Mr. Bell's like field or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Look, they're picking spruce gum from Mr. Bell's spruce grove. Okay. Spruce gum. All right. That was maybe a weird deep cut. Well, okay, because again, in the movie, Mr. Bell is pissed and he grabs Anne as one of like the lollygaggers yeah. and marches her in. In the book, it just happened to be that the boys wander farther afield so that they can like yes. pick the gum and then they all rush in late. Anne just happened to be like rushing in with them because she had been wandering about putting flowers in her hair. What is spruce gum? It's like the knot of sap that like oozes from spruce trees and it kind of congeals on the outside of the tree in little lumps. And like they chew, they would pick it and chew it like gum. Ew. Yes. A little gross. I don't know what it tastes. Can't imagine that it tasted very good. I mean, I've gotten tree sap on me. It doesn't smell very. I mean, it smells piney, but like really, really, really concentrated piney smell. It smells like it would be like chewing a cleaning product. Like the way pine saw smells, but tasting it. Okay. Katie, do you have a third question for us? I do have a third question. Okay. The third question is, what is the name of Anne and Diana's playhouse? Oh, what is the name of their playhouse? I can't. I know what it is. It's like a ring of trees, and I know they have like their little old china cups and like a a, a piano bench cover and all that stuff in there. Mm-hmm. How do they name it, Reagan? Do you remember? Yes, because I think of this when you and I go on girls' weekends. It's Idlewild. Yes. Oh my gosh, that's right. It's Idlewild. Idlewild. So Katie, there is a little mountain town near us, like in the mountains outside uh-huh. of LA, called Idlewild, and Kelly and I have often done like girls weekends in cabins up there oh my gosh is it just okay, magical Katie, I actually it is the most magical you. it is so cute it is the best place okay i have to tell you though we don't just do girls weekends there in the traditional sense i need to actually set the stage for the girls weekend so we rent a cabin in the mountains preferably with a nice view and then we each bring a huge stack of books and then we just sit in the cabin and read the books and that's all that we sounds- do 
glorious and if the there's a hot ultimate tub, we'll sit in it and we'll get takeout from this italian place that we like and we'll just read a huge stack of books exactly that's amazing okay how it's often do you do these girls weekends we were doing them really regularly it's been a minute now since we've done one i know i was hoping maybe we could plan one for this fall would be great katie you are invited Oh my gosh. If I could come, I would, oh my gosh, I would die. I'm turning 40 this year. So I'm like, what can I do for my 40th birthday? You <laughs> Let me tell you. You Wild and read a huge stack of books with me and Reagan. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and it's got the cutest little town. So we'll usually go into town on like a Saturday and walk around and get coffee and mm-hmm. like wander in the cute little shops. stores. And then we'll come home and sit on the, one of the last times we had like this great deck and it was warm enough during the day that we sat outside, just read books and then trade books and then talk about the books. Oh, that's the best. And we also planned this podcast on one of those trips. So this is where it, this was the origin story as well. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's the origin. And it was, a, it was an Idlewild. That's just Idlewild. perfect. That That's is perfect. perfect. Katie, I never put that together, but it is. Reagan, we planned this podcast in our own little playhouse, just like mm-hmm. in Diana. We yeah. did. We did. Oh, That's perfect. I love it. I love oh, that. that is like the perfect thing, especially on our podcast anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I hadn't really made that connection like all the way around that way. So wow. there we go. Yay. <laughs> oh, it's beautiful. I, I have one bonus question for you both. Okay. What are Anne's parents' names? Oh, Walter and Bertha. That's Ooh, right. That's right. And she names her she names her son Walter, but no Bertha's, oh. right? No Bertha's. Uh, it's Rilla's middle name. Oh, it's Rilla's middle name. That's right. Okay. That makes sense. Her the two house. mothers, Marilla yeah, and Bertha. Bertha. Marilla and Bertha. Um, what um, always struck me with Rilla, so she's Marilla Bertha, and she hates being called Rilla. She thinks it's so babyish, and she wishes everybody would call her Bertha because she thinks it sounds so elegant. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about this fun idea that Kelly and I had, which is because we've always had so much fun talking in this podcast, not just about Anne, but about all sorts of books and tying it into other books and book recommendations and doing book recommendations with you, Katie. We thought we would love to ask you if you could have a fictional dinner party with Anne and invite any kind of crossover fictional characters to your dinner party, who would you want to come to your your party, what would be your ideal fictional dinner party? So I was trying to think of characters that would either be funny or fun to have. Like, I think it would be funny to have Marianne Dashwood at a dinner party with Anne because they would just be out competing each other for drama. (laughs) Drama. I'm mad I didn't think of that. That is so good. That's so good. Marianne and Anne at a dinner party. Oh my gosh. (laughs) It would be just perfect. It would be out romanticizing each other at every turn. Absolutely. They would just like, who could top each other? I also would love to maybe have, I feel like Anne and Dickon from from The Secret Garden would have a grand time together, probably. Oh, um, I like that choice, too. Yeah. I think Although Marianne I, and Dickon would get along together, too. I bet she'd flirt with him, though. Yes. No. Well, would she? Well, maybe not, because he's probably not rich enough. Yeah, he's not rich <laughs> enough. Yeah. But, he, but he's charming. And Marianne was less about wealth than she was oh yeah no she didn't care about she didn't care about wealth like she never she whether or not willoughby was ever going to inherit from his aunt was unimportant to her she just that didn't matter their grand romance yes exactly yeah Yeah. so maybe maybe there's hope for her and dickon okay so far i love your dinner party please invite me (laughs) to you're welcome to come (laughs) because this is actually gonna happen (laughs) amazing amazing 
let's see. I'm trying to think of a modern character that that would that could come to the dinner party. I'm drawing a blank. Talk amongst yourselves. Who do you think should come? The, to the, how about let's all let's all come up with characters to the, that could come to this dinner party okay. with Marianne okay, and Anne. I'm Marianne on board. And, and, Dickon. and, Dickon. and Dickon. So we've got we've got a lot of romance. We've got a lot of nature happening, mm-hmm. like nature appreciation. If we stick with kind of older fashioned type stories, you could totally invite Sarah Crew from The Little Princess, who also oh, yes. has a beautiful imagination, mm-hmm. really appreciates both the simple things, like simple fare, and has a gift for turning it into like grand and mm-hmm. romantic and elaborate things through her imagination. Mm-hmm. So she might be a good addition. Do we need someone from one of the Brontes? Do we need like a Jane Eyre there? Hmm. Would she bring down the mood of the party a little bit? She absolutely would. I think that Jane, I think that that Jane would kind of scold everyone for being a little too fanciful. Right. A little (laughs) Um, too frivolous. What is the name of Jane's pupil? I'm totally forgetting. Is it Adele? Adele. Adele would thrive. She would love it there. But she's a little young, I think, to be with these people. Okay, you know, my rec for this party is Lucy Honeychurch from A Room with a View. Lucy was famously played by Helena Bonham Carter in the movie version of A Room with a View. And she is a young girl on the verge of womanhood, not yet a girl, not yet a woman, who is sent to Italy to get some culture, to get some class. And while there, she kisses a boy in a field. And everything goes haywire after that and i think that's the energy that this dinner party needs for sure for sure i love that i've never read that book i need to oh it's really charming highly highly recommend so it's em forster it's um like early 20th century it's really yeah someone else was just mentioning that book to me so i think this is and it's really short it's a it's a Mm -hmm. quick fun read yeah i think this is my cue that it's time to pick it up Mm -hmm. just so that i can know this character who's at our at our dinner party right the other person i would put in this meetup would be like Belle from beauty and the beast oh right yeah her energy matches what we're going for here as well mm-hmm. i'm i'm into it you guys i'm into it yeah okay i'm gonna share the dinner party that i came up with and i decided to lean really really just hard into the romance angle because that's always how i approach things. <laughs> i love that <laughs> so i've decided that i'm inviting to my and dinner party elizabeth bennett from pride and prejudice mm-hmm. austin going strong we talked a lot about how pride and prejudice and anna the island overlap thematically this oh. uh, season and so i just know that older Anne I feel like your dinner party is like with younger Anne but I think yes. like older Anne and Elizabeth mm-hmm. would have so much to talk about and yes. I just want to hear them dish about their respective guys mm-hmm. and I, then for that matter we can invite Gilbert and Darcy can take notes they can compare notes about what they had to go through yes they can like you proposed twice I proposed twice how'd that go you, for you <laughs> do you think that Gilbert and Fitzwilliam would get along I kind of don't. I think they would. I kind of don't. I think that they might find, they might respect each other, but Darcy is so (laughs) antisocial. Yeah. And Gilbert is so like charming and gets along Mm -hmm. with everybody and da 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 da. And like like, Gilbert's lighthearted and and Darcy's a little bit more brooding. Yeah. But I think if anybody is going to help Darcy integrate into a dinner party, somebody like Gilbert might be that person. Yes. He's sort of like a Bingley 
to his yes, Darcy. That's yeah. true. He has big, yeah. big Bingley energy. So maybe Darcy would love him. And then I'm going to rope in two of my other favorite literary couples. I'm going to add in Celia and Marco from the Night Circus by Aaron Morgenstern. Mm. Um, Ooh, very. That's that's the drama romance right there. That's mm-hmm. the drama romance. But what I was thinking of is they could also talk to Anne and Gilbert about what it's like to fall in love in a, like a competitive sense because Gilbert oh, yeah. and Anne were academic mm-hmm. rivals and Celia and Marco were like magical rivals. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> So I think that's good. And then just for me, and because I love this book so much, I'm also adding Izzy and Ransom from Romancing the Duke by Tessa Dare, which is hands down my favorite romance novel ever. This is actually a book, Katie, that I almost never recommend because I love it so much that like if someone doesn't love it as much as I do, I'm kind of like, ooh, okay. Can we be friends? (laughs) (laughs) This changes my feelings about you entirely. No, it's one of those things like I kind of can't be objective about it. And there's amazing banter and great sexual chemistry between Mm. the two leads. So I feel like if they were at this dinner party, their banter would sort of kick everything off. And then the ladies would all jump in and everybody would just be falling over laughing by the end of the Mm -hmm. night. And since all those couples come from my ultimate comfort reads, I think that I would serve them comfort food like grilled cheese and tomato soup or chicken and dumplings and chocolate chip cookies and milk. I'm sure Fitzwilliam Darcy would be a little humbled by all of that. But, you know, I think he'll have a great time. He'll be too busy laughing to care that the food is simple. But also, I think he might be charmed by how good the food actually tastes, too. Yes. Reagan, did you come up with a, a dinner party for us? I did. I was trying to decide whether I should go with more of Anne's fictional contemporaries or like a more modern style. So I kind of did a little bit of both. And I thought of Anne more as a young adult rather than as a child. So I love it. We've got kind of three different styles of dinner Mm -hmm. parties here. So Joe March, of course, seemed like an easy person to invite. She and Anne would have so much in common and, you know, kind of recognize that ambition and intelligence in the other one. And so that seemed like an easy invite. In some version of the world, Joe and Anne are legitimately friends. Yes. Yes. In the Anne multiverse. Exactly. <laughs> there is there is one branch that is uh, in which they actually get to know each other. Yes. But then when I was thinking about other people to invite, I guess so many of my other favorite books tend to lean more in the fantasy element. So I ended up pulling in a lot of kind of like magical type folks. But Anne would love that. Yes. That's what I sort of thought. She would. She would totally love that. So the book, The Very Secret Society of Irregular Witches by Sangu Mandana, the main character's name is Mika Moon. And she's also an orphan, but she's also a witch. And she has this really lovely way of appreciating the world that thaws cranky people. She gets involved in a very grumpy slash sunshine romance where, of course, she's the sunshine. She's plucky and charming with an open heart. And she's also kind of looking for a place to belong and looking for a found family. So I thought that she would connect with Anne really quickly. And Anne would love her name, Mika Moon. That's a great oh, name. Oh, she would love her name. And then the book Under the Whispering Door by TJ Clune. One of the characters, Hugo, Hugo owns a tea shop that also doubles as a way station between life and death. And Hugo is warm and reassuring and interested in everyone who comes into his shop. He's very non-judgmental. He serves teas that are kind of brewed specifically to kind of address whatever emotional needs his customers have. I thought he would be an amazing host. Like he would just make the 
the party so warm and inviting and just nothing phases him no matter how wacky things kind of get. I so, love that you figured out where the party was going to be. And now yeah, yeah and like who would host it. I love that. Yeah. I don't want to do the work of hosting it, my friends. If I'm going to be enjoying <laughs> it. Right. I, you need to like enjoy it. Not yes, be the, Yes. We're all going to Hugo's Tea Shop for sure. And then my third, or I guess that's my fourth guest, right? My my last guest is, again, this is a little bit unconventional, but I was thinking with all of this like sweetness and sunshine and charming folks that are part of this dinner party, we need somebody to balance that. So I was going to invite Elle from Naomi Novik's Skolomance trilogy. And Elle is 100% the grumpy in a grumpy sunshine romance. She is extremely prickly, extremely hard shell. She is very much the anti-hero hero, but she needs deep down, she is really searching for friends and wanting acceptance. And she just needs mm. some folks who can see through some of that armor and some of her prickles and bring out the heart that she very much has. So that would be an interesting person to throw in there. But I feel like all of this charm that we have happening, I think even Elle would have a good time at a party like this. Well, and mm-hmm. someone needs to be there to roll their eyes when things start going too far off the rails. Yeah, exactly. And so, of course, since we're going to have this at Hugo's Tea Shop, we're going to have delicious teas that each match for each dinner party guest and we're going to do like fresh vegetable soup and bread and scones and cream and maybe some little tiny treats and you know raspberry cordial to finish off the uh Mm. finish off the oh of course raspberry cordial yes have to have raspberry cordial yeah it's not mandatory for an and dinner party yes Mm -hmm. (laughs) that sounds absolutely dreamy both of your guys's dinner parties sound incredible And Katie, that's all we have for you tonight. We love talking to you so much. Um, I love being here. Seriously, one of our favorite guests. We already know which episode we're inviting you back for very soon in the future. Where on the internet can our listeners find you? Well, I'm still on Instagram at Life Between Words. I'm not posting regularly these days just because life is so busy, but I am there. And so you can come and find me. Thank you again so much for coming back on the pod to celebrate our first anniversary of podcasting. Yay, thank you. Next up on the podcast, you guys, kindred spirits, we have two such special guests to bring on for this episode. Buckle up. Both of our husbands have been dying to come on the podcast, which is a little weird because neither of them have read Anne of Green Gables. But while we did have to shoot down some other ideas, such as a Mission Impossible recap or Anne of Green Gables and zombies bits for them to do, we finally came up with the perfect way for them to be involved. So let's introduce them really quickly. First, let's meet Chuck Gurner, Kelly's husband, dungeon master extraordinaire, co-keeper of the two corgis, Hash Brown and Hamhock. Hi, everyone. I like to think that the corgis keep me. Nice. Well done. And now let's meet Steve Leff, Reagan's husband, Alice's dad, the handiest man this side of the Rockies, and the founder of the Thick and Luxurious Hair Club for Men. He paid me to add that last bit. Hello, everyone. And may I say it's such a pleasure to finally be on the podcast. Special shout out to Steve, who designed our beautiful logo. We love our logo so much. And Steve did a beautiful job taking our badly articulated vision and turning it into exactly what we were hoping for. We'd like the guys to do their most dramatic readings, Chuck, don't get carried away, of the worst, (laughs) most unhinged reviews of the first three Anne books that we've pulled from Amazon and Goodreads. 
Here are some reviews about Anne of Green Gables. Margaret on Amazon says parochial and saccharin. I don't know what saccharin is. I'm just reading this, folks. This little book about a high-spirited orphan who charms a village is laden with unbelievable bits, or rather, it is missing realistic pieces. The farmers who wanted to get an orphan boy to help with work on the farm never once think that the girl orphan that was accidentally sent over could ever set foot on the farm to help. Instead, she does baking and dishwashing and needlework inside the house. On this farm, in quotes, nothing unpleasant ever happens, nor does any milk or dairy fare get mentioned. The closest we get to the workings of the farm are when Anne joins Matthew to bring the cows in at the end of the day. No milking, no calving, no breeding or gelding happen on that farm. Everyone in the town is white. <laughs> the only mention of immigrants is Italian peddlers, also in quotes. Parentheses, ew, I told you not to let them in the house, in parentheses. And a German Jew selling door to door who sells Anne a defective product. No real food gets mentioned. When Anne learns to, quote, cook, Quote, she learns to bake cakes and buns and scones. The kids go to school and strive to become teachers. It is all limited and prettified and simplified into something that bears little resemblance to real life. I love this review because the only kind of farm that this reviewer has ever heard of, I think, is like a dairy farm. <laughs> all right. Citra on Goodreads says, boo, it's boring <laughs> as hell. I never finish it. This book hasn't got any conflict at all, which for me doesn't worth reading. I wonder why this book, Just Like to Kill a Mockingbird, which is also boring, is in, quote, the best book ever, unquote. It's totally ridiculous. I have to read 500 pages just to find out about a little girl's boring flat life. It really wasted my time and money to buy this book in the first place. Renata C. on Goodreads says, This book was so dreadfully boring I wanted to cry. My cousin insisted on forcing me to watch the movie lots of times, so I decided to read the book. I couldn't get through it. I tried, but Anne just talked on and on for pages about nothing. Just not my type of book, I guess. Roland on Goodreads says, You have to be really charmed by Anne's nonstop yammering to enjoy this book. I wasn't, so I didn't. Reagan R. says, It was okay. I don't really like classics. I'm more of a slime person. August on Goodreads says, Anne's only character trait is being a naive idiot. Okay, now we have some reviews of Anne of Avonlea. Kathy on Goodreads says, This book hasn't aged well. Davy is a bully and displays sociopathic tendencies, but is inexplicably loved more for it than his well-behaved sister as are repeatedly told, implying a classic, albeit nauseating, boys will be boys attitude slash excuse. Then there's the practice of whipping school children and lines like, quote, a woman would forgive a man for beating her sooner than for hinting she was too much pleased to get him, end quote. Also, Montgomery seems to harbor a prejudice against the French, more so than she distrusts the Yankees, I'd wager. Cringeworthy sentiments throughout for me. Aside from Davy's cruel antics, nothing really happens in the book plot-wise. <laughs> there's a lot of talking and playing make-believe by whimsical characters who disappear almost as quickly as they're introduced. Unfortunately, Davy isn't one of them. Reagan, I know you wrote that review. Don't lie. That was you. Veronica N. on Goodreads says, Really disappointing after reading Anne of Green Gables. Are we sure this was written by the same author? And Ellen Montgomery is in some sort of early Francine Pascal? Mm -hmm. Alex A. on Goodreads says, Nah, 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 nah. Published in 1909 and Firebrand, Anne Shirley decides to step up, get organized, and embroil herself in an association to beautify her village? Oh, dear Lord. 
It's like Midsummer Murders, minus the murders. Everything that a Daily Mail readership would adore. It's only in looking back that the bland saccharine pablum that gets fed to young girls and women as heroic becomes clear. I'm not going to not deny that I loved the series once, or that Matthew's death could probably still make me cry. But even so, no, no, no. And to round out this segment, a few reviews of Anne of the Island. Baralway on Goodreads says, So far, kill the boy, not the cat! This is supposed to be a soft, light book you read to relax, but oh boy, it managed to disturb me more than Pose the Black Cat. I mean, in one episode, there is a ginger cat that appears before Anne and just sticks to her. Ginger-colored, no less, described as a starved and filthy street devil <laughs> that is very soft towards Anne and only Anne. It is basically her soulmate and a very clear parallel to her when she first came to Green Gables as an orphan. Yes, the ever-loving, gentle-spirited Anne sees the cat and is like, ugh. Ugly, let's kill it with chloroform. And all the other girls just join the fun? Seven question mark. One of them even boasts that it would not be her first time doing that? Girl, you better not put that on your CV. Or in a book written for children? I hope I just misread the thing and didn't catch some sarcastic critique of human behavior towards animals. I really, really hope so. Also, one of the numerous girls around Anne dies. They are in their late teens or early 20s, so a really tragic event. And all the book was focusing on was how in death the girl was prettier than in life. Because while alive, she was just a boring, pretty girl, bland as a plank of wood. While in death, the girl got some cookie points for spiritual atmosphere. Like, I get the historical context of the author, but damn, lady, do you really push me to smack you on the head with a copy of the yellow wallpaper or something similar while yelling that placing beauty on such a pedestal is really harmful towards the young girls reading this? Preach. Also, if it was possible, I would want the author's lunch to be strangely bland in taste for every time she wrote Davies' I want to know sentence. Edit. I've read the whole thing and holy shit, it got worse. And basically pretended to be in a relationship for two years, leading the poor guy on and then ditching him once he asked to marry her, even though she knew precisely when he will ask her. Still, she let him go through the whole thing before saying, adieu, bitch, the last minute, and okay, fine. Every person in every situation has the right to say no thanks, and I won't be ever denying this right. However, that does not make Anne's behavior any less shitty. Yet the author added to this episode this weird little closure where the sister of the guy said, well, he dated girls before you and they also turned him down. And Anne was like, so like, I was not the only girl in all his life? No true love there? Well, that makes my deed kind of okay. Let's even hint at well-deserved. The sister. He was an uninteresting simp anyway. Lols. So we too chill. I like you more anyway. Mind you, the guy was always described as a perfectly good and acceptable human being treating Anne with all that romantic grandeur she thought she wanted from her partner. I find this part problematic, especially in a book for young girls. Yes, and hell yeah, teach them about their right to decline and choose a suitable life partner. But hell no, don't take the act responsibly out of it same as treat the other part with the respect you expect to receive from them. Furthermore, okay, okay. So the alpha Chad Gilbert is finally getting his balls deblued in the last chapter via romantic dying of some disease. Once again, what does Anne do when he battles with his disease? She just sits by the window in her room, gazing outside, moaning about her own pain. Da fuck? In the first book, she was the girl of action, saving people left and right, breaking all the rigid social norms to do the things she deemed important. Why is she not running to her bow and helping? Wouldn't that be more suitable for tying the two more tightly together? Instead, the dude sort of appears when he gets better, and Anne is like, your romantic vibe check is finally on point, I will let you smash. And he is like, okay, but I want to be a doctor though. Wait for me for three years? My dude, you into some niche kind of masochism or what? It ends there. That is truly an entire review. I am 
beyond impressed at that reviewer. Alpha Chad Gilbert is like my favorite line. Chuck, that was amazing. Jessica K on Goodreads. Agony. Worst in the whole series. Anne doesn't act like herself. She's too stupid and selfish. I miss the real Anne and wish to see more Gilbert. Their love story was handled very badly. So utterly frustrating. And where the heck is Diana? I hate this book. Anne was done dirty by her author. One more, it looks like. Forgive me if I mispronounce this. Wong H on Goodreads. Spoiler alert. Honestly, I barely have any memories of the story. And that's it, folks. Like I said, it's been a pleasure, an absolute pleasure to be on the podcast today. I'd like to thank my co-hosts, Reagan and Kelly. And Chuck did an amazing job with those reads. Thank you, Steve. Kindred spirits, it is time to wrap up our first anniversary episode. This has been so much fun. Thank you all for listening to us this year and helping us grow. So we have a little anniversary present for you. We splurged on our very first piece of merch, Kindred Spirits Book Club Vinyl Stickers. They turned out so cute, you guys. We'll post pictures on our Instagram. And we want to share them with you. So there's two ways you can get one of these brand new stickers for free. Either leave us a review on Apple Podcasts so you can screenshot your review and then either email it to us or DM us on Instagram with that screenshot and your address. Or you can share about our podcast on your social media. You can either share one of our posts to your stories and include why you enjoy the show, or you can write your own post. If you share via Facebook, Twitter, or TikTok, send us a screenshot or link to your post to our email or our Instagram so that we know that you shared. We want to reach as many kindred spirits as we can. We so appreciate your support in our first year. We had the most fun doing this and finding so many fans of Anne to share in this passion project. Our email is kindredspirits.bookclub at gmail.com and our Instagram is kindredspirits.bookclub. And we'll put links to both of those in the show notes for all of you. But again, our email is kindredspirits.bookclub at gmail.com and our Instagram is kindredspirits.bookclub. So leave us a review or share your love for us on social media, and we will send you an awesome Kindred Spirits Book Club sticker. It really is super cute, you guys. It's our logo, and it is such a great way to rep the pod. Kindred Spirits, thank you so much for coming to our party. Please join us next episode as we recap Anne of Windy Poplars. Pretty much no one's favorite Anne book, but we think that doing a deep dive is going to reveal at least something to love about it. Thanks so much, everyone. Bye, Kindred Spirits. 